Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rudzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Rebecca Winthrop, Senior Fellow and Co-Director of the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. Rebecca's research focuses on global education, particularly the skills young people need to thrive in work, in life, and as constructive citizens. She advises governments, foundations, and other institutions on education issues. She's written or co-written several books and articles, and prior to joining Brookings, she spent 15 years working in the field of education for displaced and migrant communities around the world. Rebecca, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here with you guys. So for the past year and a half, you've been doing some really fascinating work at Brookings, studying family school partnerships around the world. And with the Center for Universal Education, you surveyed parents and teachers in 11 countries, including the United States, but also Argentina, India, South Africa, and others, to gather information about their beliefs, their behaviors, and their priorities. Before we get into what you found, can you tell us a little bit about what prompted this research in the first place? What have you been trying to learn? I started getting very interested in the role of communities, and that includes parents, it also includes family members, employers, all sorts of folks who might be participating in a child's learning journey but not be part of the formal education system. I started getting interested in that many years ago and looking at innovations to rapidly accelerate our quote-unquote leapfrog education systems by tapping those wonderful assets in the community and making school walls more porous. So that was my primary motivator. And then I realized just how influential and important it is to engage families and the extended community effectively. And that is not being done very well, I would say, which was highlighted by COVID. Rebecca, you surveyed close to 25,000 parents, a huge number about which you can be confident as you extrapolate results. Looking at that data, did anything particularly surprise you or stand out in what you heard from parents and what you learned? A couple of things stood out. We asked parents, what do you think the purpose of education is for your kids? And what makes a good school? What are those sort of sets of, you know, quote unquote indicators that you are tracking to say, oh, school's doing well, school's doing poorly, I better pull my kid out. And what we found was that parents in different communities really have very different perspectives on that answer. So places like India, they had very strong bent towards the civic purpose of school, sort of helping educate good citizens and develop their children to be good citizens for their communities and their country. In other places, they were really strong on academics or social-emotional learning. And we never used those sort of academic terms. It was more asking parents about the self-awareness and self-confidence and self-knowledge components and finding a personal sense of purpose. You really do need to take time to try to understand what the motivations are of the families and parents in your community. That's one big takeaway. Rebecca, I noticed in your survey that one of the trends you uncovered was that parents desire a new type of education, one that's more interactive, one that's more social, one that better supports their social, emotional, and academic development. 
When parents want learning that's more interactive and more social, what exactly does that look like? In addition to parents really having sort of a very specific set of beliefs in each community, there was this overarching trend. Parents are looking for schools to provide interactive teaching and learning experiences where kids can develop a personal sense of purpose and self-knowledge over and above skills for work or even academic preparation for post-secondary school. I don't know if that is because of the pandemic and that there's this broader emphasis on well-being. So I don't know if parents would have answered differently pre-pandemic, but we got that picture from asking many different types of questions. And one of them was saying, you know, when you look at a really good school, what makes it good to you? And parents who were basically only focused on academic indicators, such as getting good grades and, you know, doing well on exams and, you know, having schools really prepare you well for higher education, were not that many. A lot of parents, yes, they do care about that kids have to master academic skills. That is clearly important. But they are basically saying also alongside that, we really are looking to schools to ensure that our students are developing socially, emotionally, and that schools support their overarching well-being, such as making friendships and being able to participate in a range of activities that they have a real knack for, or talent for, or passion for that they can pursue. A lot of academic or I would say even policymaker narratives are Low-income families, low-income communities, poor parents, poor communities, you know, the reason they're sending their kids to school is to get a job. And that just didn't seem to be the case. And too many business leaders talk about schools as if the purpose of school is to prepare future workers. Right. And of course, it's very important to link your education to the needs of the economy. But that is not the only purpose. And I think what parents are saying to us through this data is that actually to develop a good person who does have a range, a wide range of skills, be they social as well as academic, et cetera, is what they think is going to prepare their kids the best for the future. Rebecca, I'm curious, you talked with thousands of parents. Did you also talk with some teachers? And if you did, What do teachers think parents want from schools? And what is it that parents think teachers want from schools? Do they have the same sensibility about what the purpose of education and learning is? We talked with 6,000 teachers across a range of jurisdictions, and we found that teachers, even more than parents, when they talk about what they think a good quality education is, across the board, across countries, almost all have the same views. They thought the most important purpose of school was developing self-knowledge and a personal sense of passion, this idea of self-awareness, self-confidence, your ability to be independent and find your way in the world. They also really said that they judged themselves and their own schools by making sure that kids' well-being is taken care of, not just that they're learning academics. Teachers were very strong on that message. And when you ask teachers, so do you think parents share your same beliefs, this same vision that you've just told us? Most of them said, oh, no, 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 no. Parents care most about academics. Teachers were off. Parents actually agreed with them a lot more 
than teachers perceived. And on the flip side, when you ask parents about their perspectives, most parents say, oh, no, 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 teachers, they just care about academics. They don't care about my students' well-being. So it was a really interesting moment of seeing that there's a lot of misperceptions about each other. Well, and what you've just shared underscores what you've written, and that is that educators and education decision makers have to get to know their parents and understand who they are and what their hopes and dreams are for their students. So let's think about this time of our COVID pandemic. And we've seen so much dislocation, so much isolation, so much distance. Clearly, none of that would lend itself to building the trust and relationships among and between families, communities, and schools. So what are some bright spots? What are some things that you've noticed in the course of your research worldwide that maybe help to bridge that distance, especially during a time of social isolation, and maybe is a signal for our future about how we build stronger parent-school relationships? Searching for case studies across a wide range of contexts of promising practices, we actually found that the pandemic was really great for finding new ways for schools and families to connect with each other. And I think it's because schools were forced to get out of their normal routine of connecting with families. And most schools' normal routine, it's episodic, meaning it's only a couple times a year. So a back-to-school night, a parent-teacher conference about a kid, and it's one way. It's the school informing and sharing information to families. That way of engaging families leaves a lot of families out. Families who have multiple jobs, who have multiple children, who can't make it to school, who don't speak the language of the teacher. They might be immigrants who aren't literate. There's many ways in which that is difficult for many types of families to actively engage. And I think, actually, it's that mode of engagement that has led to a stereotype amongst school communities to say, you know, there's some families that just don't care about their kids' education. They never show up to back to school night. They're not here for the parent meeting, et cetera. And what COVID did is because schools have to just sort of get out of their routine and they have to try something new. We have colleagues in India who talk about the great hustle and the government basically hustled to try to figure out during COVID school closures how to reach parents. So they were calling them on the cell phones. They were reaching out via WhatsApp. They were doing electronic Zoom parent-teacher meetings. They were doing text messages. They were reaching out by Facebook. They did everything they possibly could to make it easy and to go find parents and to connect with them because of the pandemic. And what they realized was what had been 20% participation of families in sort of parent-teacher meetings and, and school activities jumped to 80% wow. overnight. And they realized that it wasn't hard to reach families. It was hard to reach schools. They are going to keep doing this new way of interacting, which is much more ongoing. Time-sensitive stuff gets communicated back out quickly so you can address it right away. It can be two-way communication. So I actually think the pandemic has been great for charting brand new territories and ways of engaging families and schools. Now, I wouldn't say it's been great in every place, but... It's been lifting up all sorts of creative new strategies and approaches that people could use around the world. This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. 
We're talking with Rebecca Winthrop, Senior Fellow and Co-Director of the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. Rebecca, your research is an essential part of the Parents as Allies Project, which is a collaboration among four organizations, the Center for Universal Education at Brookings, the design firm IDEO, the Finland-based education nonprofit 100, and Kidsburg, which is based right here in Pittsburgh. What is Parents as Allies? Can you tell us a little bit about how it's going to build on your research and what you hope might come from it? This is a great initiative to bring together a group of complementary colleagues who care about parent-family engagement. So we at Brookings have a network, a family engagement education network of around 50 partners around the world. Most of them are government jurisdiction leaders. Many of them are civil society leaders. And we have a research agenda where we're going out and really trying to investigate better ways in which families and schools can work together. And the Parents as Allies Project has taken those questions that we've been looking at and really crowded in great content and suggestions. So Idea crowded in ideas and solutions from parents themselves, where parents did design thinking workshops in their schools to come up with solutions and ideas. And then our colleagues at Kittsburgh will take all this research and translate it for a parent audience in the Pittsburgh region. We want to ask you about your most recent book, Leapfrogging Inequality, Remaking Education to Help Young People Thrive, which you wrote with Adam Barton and Ellen McGivney. So in it, you explore the possibility of leapfrogging, as you say, to ensure that all young people develop the skills they need for a fast-changing world. Can you tell us more about that? What is leapfrogging? What does it look like in practice? And give us some examples in the world where people are leapfrogging to do better and right by kids. I got obsessed with this idea of leapfrogging because... I was looking at the data about education inequality, and it's very stark, and the pandemic has made it worse, where you have some kids who have advanced robotics, and they're reading the great classics in whichever culture they come from, and doing fabulous applied mathematics. And you have other kids who have a very uninteresting drill-and-kill sort of basic academic subjects with little application and not a lot of challenge. And by and large, those two groups of kids break down to those with families that have a lot of financial resources, the wealthy, the elite, and then they broke down to low-income folks. And I was really worried that the dialogue in education debates and policy was almost like twofold. You had people talking about relevant 21st century skills and applied learning and preparation for the future in contexts where kids already knew how to read and they already had mastered math and now they were going on to quote-unquote higher order thinking skills. And then in contexts where schools were poorly serving kids, the policy debate and discussion was really around How do we ensure kids know how to read? Let's focus on literacy. And of course you need to do that. I'm not suggesting you don't. But what was clear is that the aspiration for the kids in the poor communities was not nearly as high. It was, we need to teach them how to read. They're really behind. Let's just pound this into them. And often you would get drill and kill type of pedagogy, which isn't doing them any favors. 
direct instruction has a role, but it has limits. And that's where the education debate would get stuck. They're not reading. We have to keep teaching reading. So I kept thinking there's got to be a way out of this. And that's where this idea of leapfrogging comes in. What about all the different ways that people out there in the world are working with young people to develop their competencies, both academic and quote unquote 21st century? Here's one example of a good bright spot. Teaching kids to read through music, word recognition and language patterns and all these things is much more effective than through flashcards. We know that you can master academic content better and it helps you develop a whole other set of competencies and skills. And so how can you do that for all kids was the question. Rebecca, how can people find out more about the work you're doing? Anyone can go on Twitter at Rebecca Winthrop or at the Brookings website, brookings.edu, and I look forward to staying in touch. Now, Rebecca, before we let you go, one last question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? One thing that everyone can do is to ask themselves, am I creating young people who will be not only good people, but good citizens of their community? And if the answer is no, think carefully what else you can do. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org slash tomorrow.